Well, again, it's good to have everybody here this morning as we worship God. We're looking at uh, uh, the call of Jesus for us to be a holy people. So uh, that will be our message this morning. And uh, I will have a joke at the beginning because the sermon is so lousy, I felt it needed a joke. So I wrote one. So, okay. Again, positivity is my theme for the day. <laughs> okay. Oh, we want to stand for the opening prayer. Remain standing. We're going to uh, say the Apostles' Creed together this morning following the prayer. And uh, so remain standing for that and for our opening hymn. Let's all stand together. Holy and gracious Father, we give you thanks, O Lord, for this day. I thank you for this congregation of saints, those who have been sanctified by uh, the Holy Spirit, those who have given their lives over to their Savior, Jesus Christ, those who believe in the power of the cross to redeem and the power of your Spirit to transform. We thank you, Lord, for this day when we come together and open your word to see your call to holiness. For you are a holy God, and Father, you seek to be in a relationship with us. And that comes, Father, uh, when we uh, turn ourselves over in faith to you. And allow you, Father, to reshape and to redeem us. Father, we pray this day for our world. We pray for those uh, many places of conflict. We pray for civility within our society. And we pray, uh, Father, for a gentleness of speech, uh, both within and without the church. Father, I pray this day that you would uh, bless our worship together, accept our praise as praise that comes from our hearts. We pray this In the name of Jesus Christ and together, Father, we uh, recite those words of belief and faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Join me today in a prayer for guidance, please. Lord, open my hearts and minds by the horn of your Holy Spirit, and as the scriptures are read and read is proclaimed, we shall hear from joy what you say to us today. Amen. Today's scripture is a tough one. As I've read it over several times, and it's a uh, it's a hard one to, uh, it's even harder than living by the Ten Commandments, I think. But um, I shall try to move this along. It's uh, Matthew uh, 5, 38 through, through uh, 48. It's on page uh, 5 of the, new, of the hymnal, I mean of the uh, Bibles in your pews. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist, but I say to you, do not resist an evil door. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your coat, <clears throat> give your cloak as well. 
And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to be who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of so you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son his rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you, are, if you only greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you, Danny. Uh, Danny referred to this. Uh, this is a tough uh, uh, section of scripture. In, in actuality, that's just a little ex- excerpt out of the uh, out of the uh, fifth chapter of Matthew, uh, referring to the things that you have heard. You've heard you shouldn't do this. You've heard you shouldn't murder, commit adultery, uh, and so we just heard a few of the things there. But uh, Jesus uh, put this up to people saying, you know, you, you have become so used to living by the letter of the law and making ways around the law that you have lost the heart of the law. The whole idea here is that uh, murder begins in the heart. Uh, and, and so you need to look to the heart. Uh, adultery begins in the heart. Inside of you, you need to look what what's on the inside rather than always uh, seeing the sin as only an outward event or occurrence. And so, uh, uh, this is tied into our idea of holiness this morning as we as we look at uh, a number of scriptures that I have here around holiness. Uh, holiness uh, is not an easy topic to talk about. Uh, In some ways, uh, we all agree on what the definition of holiness is. It's the process of holiness. And that is what really uh, was a keystone of the uh, Methodist movement, the whole idea of of the Methodists uh, being kind of not separated from, but this uh, kind of that that fly that's buzzing around the Anglican church, that, that annoying fly that keeps coming up to your ear and you hear that buzz. That's what the Methodists were. They kept buzzing around saying, don't forget sanctification, don't forget holiness. Don't forget the transformative power of the Holy Spirit because the church had pretty much neglected that. And a lot of that came from uh, attitudes about salvation, that uh, uh, certain people are picked to be saved and certain people are picked to go to hell and so forth. So there really wasn't anything about your life that would make any difference. Wesley went back to the scriptures, and there are over 500 scriptures in the Bible that, that talk about holiness. And Jesus, later on, well, you know, he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that bothers a lot of people. Whoa, talk about throwing a heavy burden on you. Be perfect. Now, there's a lot of talk, and when you, you, know, when you become a pastor, uh, and when you go to seminary, uh, a lot of times uh, that topic is covered. What does... Jesus mean by perfect here, and that the the word, that the original word there really means complete. Be complete in the holiness of God. It doesn't mean perfection in the sense of never make a mistake. 
you know, never trip over your own feet. Uh, never, uh, uh, never have a situation where you only had partial information, so you made a judgment that was wrong. Those things happen. We're human. We're not God. But what he's saying is, is be mature in your faith in God and be mature in the way that you act and the way you relate to God and the way you relate to others and have that, that complete love of God in your heart so that even when you make errors of judgment, still your heart is right with God and with others. So I promised you a, uh, a joke. So here it is. This part I did not write. This, this led to several more jokes. But why couldn't the bicycle stand on its own? Anybody know? It was too tired. Okay. It's always interesting to hear the rumble of laughter because I realize some people it takes a few seconds more to get that. But uh, to see the fullness of that joke, it's a, it's, it's a two-tiered joke. Not too tired. Uh, why did the preacher's bicycle tires keep going flat? This one I wrote. Because they were too holy. Okay. Which fit in with this sermon, isn't it? Uh, why did the cow's bicycle keep tipping over? Because it was too lean. See, that's not getting laughter at all. But y'all just don't get it. See, lean as in lean over. See, lean, okay. Why did the pastor get fired? <laughs> because like the bike's tires, his jokes fell flat. Okay. So there you go. Okay. Let's get back on seriousness here. And that's part of the problem is, uh, actually, that ties in sometimes uh, the reputation of, you know, the old uh, Holy Joe label, label he's put on somebody, somebody who's holy, they're, they're just, uh, they're, they're dead spirited, they just, they're so serious. You know, we, we had some visitors one time at our farm and uh, family members who were members of a Methodist church, the old Southern Methodist church. And the Southern Methodists separated from the other Methodists in the 1930s. When the the Southern Methodist Church and the Northern Methodist Church came back together after many years of separation, uh, almost a century of separation over slavery, parts of the Southern Methodist Church, and that denomination still exists today, a very small part of it did not go along with the Union and they stayed separated, and they retained the holiness rules of the discipline. And among those were the wearing of makeup by women, jewelry, card playing, going to the movies or to a play. All those things were restricted. And so I have, this, I have a cousin down in uh, Louisiana who is a Southern Methodist uh, pastor and a great guy. His wife is very serious. And so they came, and uh, we had some other family members there, cousins and everything. And some of the girls got with their girls, and they were teenagers. And the other girls showed these girls how to put makeup on. And so the next thing I know, they've come to me, and they said, we're afraid we're going to have to leave. Now, that's what gives holiness a bad name. That's what makes people flee from the church when they hear of things like that. But the problem is... There is 
there is a, a message within that holiness message that we need to pay attention to. The heart of that message is that God comes first and the world comes second. Don't put your priorities on the outward appearance. Work on the inward appearance. doesn't mean that the outward appearance can't look nice, but, but we put so much emphasis on that that we need to emphasize the inner, inner person. So there are really good things about that. Don't, don't spend all of your time in frivolous pursuits, but you know, spend time... Uh, visiting the sick, spend time studying God's word and praying. Uh, there are very positive things in there, but uh, it, can, it can turn disastrous when it becomes a situation of people always feeling judged by someone's holiness. This is why Jesus, by the way, emphasizes in the scriptures, by the way, he was accused of not being holy enough because he associated with sinners and he, he, had, he had dinners with sinners. He hung around, he, uh, they called him a drunk. He drank too much. Uh, he got accused of all kinds of things. And he says, you know, when you fast, don't do as some people do and walk around in ragged clothes and with, uh, you, know, uh, scar- you know, putting dirt on your face, face so people will see, oh, he must be f- fasting. He must be in a time of holy penitence before God. What a, what a religious man he is. Don't do that. Instead, you know, dress in your best, go around and look just normal like you always would. Let that fasting, let that penitent time be between you and God. Uh, you know, the same thing with prayer. Don't stand up on the street corners praying out loud so people can notice you and think what a holy person you are. But go into a closet and pray to God and he will reward you. And so there, there is that tension between uh, the call to holiness and how that translates to the outside world and those who we wish to, to bring to Christ. Does that turn into a, a, uh, a judgmental situation where people feel judged by your actions and by your life? Or is it something where they somehow the light of God's love comes through your actions and your holiness? So uh, there are, as I said earlier, there are over 500 scriptures in the Bible pertaining to holiness. And uh, in a minute, we'll, we'll define exactly what holiness is. Uh, for 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify our, ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now, a key thing there is we perfect holiness in our lives out of a reverence for God, that holiness is God-directed. It's not for our benefit. Even though you will benefit from not smoking and drinking, it's not for our benefit. But it is because we revere God and we, we honor God. You know, when I was a child, uh, uh, y'all going to think, well, every experience you ever had ended at the age of 10. Uh, I don't have any other life experiences since then. But, uh, but you know, if I, if I give you my childhood mistakes, you say, oh, he was a child. If I tell you I did the same thing when I was 50, you say he's an idiot. So, uh, but when I, was, uh, when I was a child, I really revered my father. I, I got to tell you, my dad, you know, he was uh, everything to me. And everything I wanted to be, I would go and open his closet and look at his old Marine Corps uniforms. I'd, I'd, I'd get his medals out of the box and, 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 and look at them. And uh, I'd read the Marine Corps uh, field guide. They have a field book uh, that tells Marines how, to, it even tells them how to build a house, all sorts of things. But everything a Marine, uh, how to 
how to throw a grand hand grenade. It just everything was in that book. So I would I would read that. I would dream about being like my dad. And I remember when the concept of death really, you know, there's a certain point in your life, four, five, six, sometimes when you first realize that your parents aren't going to be here forever. Anybody remember that in their lives? Because I remember that the first, now I had, I loved my mom. But the thought of living life without my dad, I mean, I was shaken. I was deeply, deeply shaken by that. And so here I had this person in my life, and in your life it may have been a grandparent, it may have been an aunt, an uncle, a dad, or a mom. But that person in my life who I look to as an example, someone who I wanted to be just like, because I love them, I needed them. And when I think about our desire for holiness... I really believe that the Bible, if we read the entirety of the script, all these 500 plus scriptures about holiness, I really believe that what's going to come out through that is in the end, it is the human being's desire to be with God that makes us holy. Because when we're in the presence of God, like a child, we want to be just like God. We want to be righteous and holy as God is holy. And so our desire comes from that relationship and that love for God. And God's love flows back through us into our lives. And that kind of holiness is a holiness that heals. That that kind of holiness builds relationships in the world. It doesn't separate people or, or drive people away from you. But here's the thing. I want to be like God, but I can't be God. I can't be perfect in all my ways. I can't know everything. I'm not all-powerful. So I'm going to, at times, I'm going to fail miserably. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fumble around. And we see that in Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul, he's struggling with some sin. He doesn't identify the sin specifically to us, but he is struggling with it. And finally he cries out, O wretched man that I am. I'm a shipwreck of a man. I am uh, uh, worthless, without hope. That's what he says. Until he remembers Jesus Christ. And he says, thank God for Jesus Christ. Who can save me from this body of sin? Thank God for Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in chapter 8 and writes some of the most magnificent, uplifting scripture in all of the Bible about how nothing can separate us from the love of God, not heights or depths or uh, uh, principalities or, or, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So Paul struggled to be perfect, but he wasn't able to achieve it. But he said, that's okay because my perfection is in Jesus Christ, whatever the gap is between. And so I long to be perfect as God is perfect. I'm not going to simply throw away that longing for perfection and and trying to do my best because I have this security in Jesus Christ. No, the fact that I have this security in Jesus Christ, knowing that I am saved, having that assurance makes me long even more to be like him. And so holiness is relationship. 
Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, without a relationship with God, our holiness turns out into it turns into legalism, into a, a, a static obedience to rules, and not something that flows out of us, out of our passions and our desires for God. John Wesley realized that uh, it was going to be tough for us to maintain this. And, and by the way, I began at the beginning. I'll do this a little aside here before I, I move into this. And uh, this isn't a really long sermon, by the way, so don't worry. Some of you are concerned. I, I, I see the faces. I know. How, how long is he going to go on here? 500 scriptures. Oh, my God. Um, Lord, save us from this wicked preacher. Um, oh, what was I going to say? <laughs> really, I was about to get into Wesley here. I forgot. Okay. That's good. It'll it'll maybe come to me. Maybe not. All right. Okay. Anyways, Wesley uh, believed that we as Christians... Oh, I know what I was going to (laughs) say. That some major splits have happened in the church around the idea of holiness... Uh, and the Methodists themselves, as, as I said at the, at the beginning, uh, Wesley said our, our, the, the, great, the great contribution of the Methodist movement to the Christian church will be this idea of holiness and sanctification, that that's what the church was lacking. But then uh, in the 1820s and 30s or so, there began to become disputes over how are we made holy, Is holiness something that's all thrust upon you and you are 100% instantly made holy by a a baptism of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit comes down upon you separate from your water baptism where the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you speak in tongues and suddenly you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that how holiness works? And there are some scriptures that could lead you to that conclusion. Or is holiness and transformation a different, uh, different schedule for different people? Do some people struggle for years more than others with certain things? And does, does, does the process of transformation in God's uh, sanctifying spirit, that work, go over a long period of years? Or is it something that happens much quicker? And so there were disputes over this sort of thing. So we have a number of, of splits in the Methodist church because of that, including uh, the Pentecostal movement, which came out of the holiness movement. So the holiness movement, 1820s and 30s, and then uh, the turn of the century, 1901, the beginning of the Pentecostal movement, all those came out of the Methodist movement and are disputes over holiness. Isn't that something that, that holiness can lead to division? And all too. And even today's, uh, the divide in the church is somewhat related to that in some ways because it's people's dispute over, over what it means to be holy. And, and, and how holy does somebody have to be <laughs> to be a part of the church? And, uh, you know, is uh, when we talk about tolerating sin, is that taking us away from a desire from, for holiness? You know, saying that's, that we need to be changed over here, or do we simply accept people as they are? And that's the conflict going on, the tension between those two things right now. So that, that does not start. So that, let's get off that, that topic right now. Where was I? What was I going to talk about? Oh, Wesley. Okay. Um, Wesley, Wesley knew that 
our desire for God depended upon proximity, that we had to stay close to God. Like anyone else, if you, if you separate from somebody, if you come up, you meet them, you love them immediately, and you don't see them for 50 more years, that relationship is not going to develop, and that dedication in the relationship is going to, to wither and disappear, and you may even forget about them. So he said that, that we had to be in a process of disciplined uh, uh, spiritual exercises that need to go on in our lives. And the five primary ones that he gave to people uh, began with prayer. And then he uh, went on from prayer and uh, uh, talked about uh, searching scripture, the study of, of, of the Bible. Uh, was something we need to be constantly doing. In fact, the Methodists were initially called Bible moths because they were like moths hovering over the scriptures. Uh, Jesus was the living word of God, and he constantly reminded others in his ministry uh, of the words of the prophets. And he himself fulfilled many of those prophecies. So when John Wesley looked at what was something that we needed to constantly be doing, he was looking to the example of Jesus. Jesus prayed. Constantly, he prayed for his disciples. He went off alone and he prayed with God. He uh, he uh, spent so much time in prayer that we have to question: of all the people in the world who ever lived, why would Jesus need prayer? Why did he need that? But he was giving us a message that none of us live without that relationship, that private conversation. So you had prayer and you had searching the scripture. And then the third thing that Wesley said we need to attend to, and he called it constant communion, meaning frequent communion, as frequently as possible, we need to come to the Lord's table. It's there that we're reminded of our sins. It's there that we can come and confess those sins to God and receive repentance. If we come to the table of the Lord and with with the very Savior himself, with his body and his blood present, we, we come and we proclaim him to all the world, our faith in him. So we need to attend to that. The next thing is fasting. Uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. He encouraged fasting that was not done for the praise of others. He didn't want you to fast so people would say, look at how religious they are. Uh, but he, he encouraged us to allow our fasting to be done between God and ourselves without public display. Now, not a lot of fasting goes on today, and I, I want to tell you this. Fasting isn't just about food. In fact, I would say just as important as fasting from food in today's uh, society would be fasting from all the distractions that didn't, uh, didn't um, occur in the time of Wesley. Uh, he had no computers, televisions. He didn't have all the, uh, the, the ways that we have to escape. Even books were limited. You know, to get a new book, you didn't just, you know, go on Amazon and download it or go to the local bookstore. Books were precious, and so many people, uh, they might, the only books they have might be uh, the Bible and maybe one or two other books. And so they would reread them over and over. You know the famous story about uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln when he, was a little, uh, when he was a boy and how he would go walk many miles to this neighbor's house to borrow a book. And then he'd walk back in the rain with that book protected to return it to him because he had promised he would return it. Um, you know, studying the scriptures... Uh, and and constantly being in those scriptures is important and finding ways to fast from the things that distract us away from studying the scriptures is important. To say, I'm going to spend the next day only in reading the scriptures when it comes to media 
when it comes to uh, transmission of communication. It's only going to be in the Bible. And you're fasting from everything else. And so we have many things in today's world that we could choose to fast from that would bring us closer to God. And then the last, the fifth thing that he said is holy conferencing, which uh, means uh, what we're doing this morning, what you'll be doing in Sunday school. It's, it's coming together and sharing the things of God with each other, sharing our experiences, sharing what God has revealed to us, uh, understandings and insights. Uh, there are other aspects to holy conferencing, but within the church today, that's a lot of it. It's developing friendships. It's, it's coming to know each other. It's coming uh, to see Christ in each other uh, to do that. And, and when you look at those five things, there's nothing, nothing terribly hard about any of that to pray uh, to uh, search the scriptures, to come to the Lord's Supper, uh, to fast, maybe a little bit hard for some of us, and then finally, holy conferencing, doing what you're doing today. But it's amazing how many people uh, ignore one or more of those things in their lives. Uh, the old thing that I can be a Christian out in the woods by myself, I don't need to be around, it just doesn't work. Not in the sense of, you may retain faith in God, you may appreciate the beauty of nature, but you miss so much when you don't have that holy conferencing with other people. And so uh, Wesley was very much, uh, with his Methodist, emphasized the need to attend to these five things. And the last thing I'm going to share with you, there was so much more to this sermon, but, uh, uh, but it, it'll go flat if I'm not careful. Um, Last thing, Wesley had 22 questions. I've handed out these cards in churches before. I think when I first came here, I even had them out on the tables out here for people to pick up. There were 22 questions that his, his groups, uh, the small groups that would meet every week, uh, would ask each other. So as they would come together, they'd have these 22 questions, which were questions of self-examination to remind them and, and, uh, of the sin that, that uh, could still come into their lives and to alert them to things that may be coming up that they're not even aware of. But I'll I'll read you just uh, uh, half of those. Uh, Can I be trusted? To ask yourself that question. Can people trust me? Think back over the week. Are there things that I did that weren't trustworthy? Were were there times that I lied? Times that I misrepresented myself? Number two, am I a slave to dress? Which, you know, I, I think that's one I conquered, but that's more a thing of laziness. I just hate to shop for clothes. Um... Uh, Am I a slave to friends? Do my friends draw me away from my relationship with God? You know, it's not that you don't have friends, but be careful whether if are your friends controlling your life or is God controlling it? Uh, Work, am I a slave to work? Am I a slave to habits? Uh, Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Boy, that's, that's a lot there. Do I go around all the time how... Everything in my life is terrible and bad, and I want everybody to know this. And, and, and whatever I do, I can justify it, uh, you know, even, even when it's wrong. Uh, am I self-conscious? Am I always focused on myself? I remember back in high school. Now I'm getting a little bit away from childhood. But I remember uh, when um, I, I would go to school and, you know, the guys were wearing bell-bottoms, and I wanted to get the bell-bottoms, the narrow jacket. No, not really. I I never liked the neighbor jackets, but, you know, I was looking, what are the guys wearing? You know, all the guys are looking, you know, you think women only think about fashion. The guys think of it. They, they don't want to stick out. You want your hair to be like everybody else's, your hairstyle, you know, everything. 
And I remember one day, <laughs> it just occurred to me, I thought, you know what? I don't think anybody is looking at me noticing any of this stuff. I just, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Everybody is so self-consumed on how they're looking, they're not really very concerned about how you, you are dressing. And just curved, and so I, I, I stopped and, and I adapted the style that I have today, which is, I know, spectacular. Um, number four, did the Bible live in me today? Was it alive? Not just did I read it, but did it come alive in me? Uh, meaning, did it have an impact on my actions? Do I give it time to speak to me every day? Do I give the Bible time to speak to me? Am I enjoying prayer? Am I enjoying prayer, or is it a task? When did I last speak to someone else about my faith? When was the last time you talked to someone about your faith? Do I pray about the money I spend? Wow, that's a big one. I think about that a lot because we make a lot of impulse sort of things. And I think, now, wait, now, if if I were to take that thing, uh, you know, uh, go from the large to the small drink or go from this to that, I'd save this much and then I'd have that much money to share with uh, with uh, good causes or to share with the church. Wait, you know, it, or do I just spend uh, because the impulse at the time tells me to spend? Do I get to bed on time and get up on time? Um, as somebody, a, a slackered, one of the Proverbs talks about the person who rises and then turns over in their bed um, uh, I heard Jerry Falwell speak on that one time, and it's the only thing I ever remember him speaking on is is not rolling over in your bed but getting up out of it. So I don't know why that made an impact on me. Uh, do I disobey God in anything, and is Christ real to me? Is Christ real to me? So these questions, that's only 11 of the 22 that they would review every week. But Wesley realized that the, that the life of holiness and righteousness and growing in Christ doesn't just happen. That it is a, it is a life of obedience to God and to his word and, and with the sincere desire to grow in Christ by, his, by the strength and the leading of his spirit and his word. So that's what we are called to by Jesus Christ. All the things we've been called to over the past weeks. Uh, last week it was uh, to, the sup, uh, to the Lord's Supper, uh, to the Lord's Table. The week before that, I believe it was uh, to God's Word and so forth. All those things Jesus has called us to. And, uh, and when we follow, I sincerely believe that uh, when we answer that call, our lives are transformed and changed forever. That's it. Well, we want to uh, rise and sing our, our final song of discipleship as we come. And I pray that... Uh, I pray that something that was said this morning in this message will, will uh, help us to, uh, to make that move, perhaps to go back and to seek the holiness of God in a greater way. Amen. Holy Father, we pray for all those who face trials in this life. Uh, your Apostle Paul said that uh, uh, we may be shipwrecked and beaten. We may be cursed. Uh, we may uh, be displaced. But, Father, in all things, we keep our faith in you and we glorify you. We pray for that kind of faith for all of us, that when life uh, uh, comes at us full throttle and when uh, darkness threatens us, that we will remember the one who is the light of the world. Father, it's in his precious name that we pray. And amen.